Good morning. What a good morning it is, too. Really, you know, I don't know if you, uh, you haven't noticed the presence of Almighty God here, but he's here. And this is really a great, great morning. Uh, we, we heard a word this morning, and when, just a reminder, when somebody speaks, uh, you know, one of these extemporaneous words from the Lord, and we've had, uh, you know, Brother Darrell, Brother Fred, they've, uh, it seems the Lord has impressed things on them, and they've said things, and I, a reminder to some, because I've been asked, like, hey, you planned that? No, no, we didn't. You know, the Lord is moving on someone's heart, and uh, when I'm, we see it. We, we, we hear it. It's an encouraging word. We're encouraged this morning. Oh, God's healing's vir- virtue, the, the, the healing virtue of Jesus. Here, it's here, right? We were encouraged to cast aside uh, fear, and, and that's part of what uh, I'll be addressing this morning, too. So uh, trust it as uh, God is speaking to his church. We've been talking about faith. We've been talking about faith and living our faith for the past number of weeks. This is part of living our faith, too. Trusting the Lord, we um, hearing his word. Um, but we, we've heard about the promise of eternal life. Living our faith, the just shall live by faith, and the promise of eternal life. It's, it, it's a real promise. It's a preserved promise. We touched on an example from the Old Testament prophet uh, Jeremiah. Even when life doesn't make sense, God's promise is preserved. And we then considered a, a message in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul to his friend and co-worker in ministry, Timothy, and it was about taking hold of eternal life and fighting the good fight of faith. The fight's real. We need to fight it. We understand that uh, the world's against us, culture's against us. And uh, we touched also last week on Jesus. Jesus telling his friends to stand firm in their faith, stand firm to the end, even in the face of persecution, death, stand firm. And today, I want to continue on this theme about being firm, standing firm in our faith. And this morning, an example from the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, where the words that Isaiah had to say, they're, they're pertinent to us too in our 21st century culture. And we're going to be through much of Isaiah chapter 7. If you'd like to advance your electronic Bible to Isaiah chapter 7 or put your finger, your bookmark in your paper Bible, Isaiah chapter 7. Now, there's many characters in this chapter. If you just read it without getting any kind of background, it can be a little bit uh, confusing because there's so many names mentioned. There's a lot of characters, places, events discussed. And a, a little overview of these Characters and events uh, will do us well before we jump into the passage. So in Isaiah chapter 7, the prophet is bringing a word from God that is pertinent to the entire nation of Israel. But at this time, it's good to remember that the nation of Israel had been split into two. 
because they had had a civil, uh, in essence, a civil war. They split into two kingdoms, the north and the south. Israel, when it was whole, was composed of 12 tribes. And it's a lot of names. It's the names of the sons of Jacob, and Jacob was called Israel. We know in our country we have 50 states, so there was, in essence, 12 in uh, Israel, although uh, there was 13 because Joseph, he got two. That was his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So you don't read about too much uh, in the Old Testament, the tribe of Joseph, because it's Ephraim and Manasseh. They all got land. And then Levi, who was also a son of Jacob, he received inheritance in all the land. They had to share with Levi because he was the line of priests came out of his tribe. So there was 12, Levi got to share. When the nation split, 10 tribes went to the north. It was a big section, and it was called Israel. The north kept the name Israel, but it wasn't considered the true Israel. They were a breakaway. They were considered rebellious by their brothers to the south. They were a a rebellious people that they turned to idolatry. They began to worship false gods. And part of that reason was the kings and the leaders said, if the people go south to Jerusalem and worship there, they'll leave us. So they instituted some idolatry, false gods, kept the people in the north. In Isaiah chapter 7, Israel is referred to as Ephraim. Ephraim was the, the largest of one of the tribes. And at that time, it was one of the last remaining because the Assyrians had been making ground on the northern kingdom, taking some of their land and their people. They were destroyers. The the king of Assyria was ruthless, and so there wasn't really too much left of Israel. Isaiah refers to them as Ephraim. The king of Israel at the time of Isaiah 7, his name was King Pekah, son of Remaliah, This is how God refers to him throughout Isaiah 7. Mostly it's son of Ramalia. He was so disgusted with him because he was such a terrible king. This king had rose uh, to the throne through assassination. So he had uh, killed the previous king in the palace in Samaria. Samaria was the capital city, and that's where the throne of the northern kingdom was in Israel. Now, on the south, the southern kingdom is called Judah. Judah kept Jerusalem as its capital. It had the temple, and it was considered the the true Israel, although it was called Judah. And at the time of Isaiah chapter 7, the king of Judah, his name was Ahaz. And he was not a good king. He, He was really a very, very bad king. His kingdom at the time was being threatened by the nations around him and the kingdoms around him, specifically king, the king of Aram. Uh, his name is Rezin. So you'll read, we'll hear about Rezin in Isaiah chapter 7. He's the king of Aram. And he made an alliance with King Pekah, the king of Israel. Pekah, who's called the son of Ramalia. He has needed help. His kingdom's being threatened. Now what did he do? Instead of calling on the Lord, he called on the king of Assyria. He called on a pagan king. 
to help him with these two others, the king of Aram and the, the king of Israel. And Ahaz sent to Assyria gold. He stripped the temple of gold. He sent gold. He sent silver. And he turned the people of Judah to worshiping the gods of Assyria so he could appease, not the Lord, to appease the king of Assyria. Ahaz even practiced the despicable, detestable practice of human sacrifice. We read in the second book of Kings, he offered one of his own sons uh, as a burnt offering. So Ahaz had truly rejected God, but despite the fact that he rejected God, he was still the head of this uh, nation that had the temple and it had Jerusalem. It was from the line of King David. Isaiah refers to Judah as the house of David in Isaiah chapter 7. And that was a reference to King David, who was really the, the first king after the bad king Saul, who received a promise that his throne would be everlasting. So this was a reminder to not just uh, Jerusalem and Judah, but to all the people that through David and in Jerusalem, this was where true Israel was established by God. Even if the king was terrible, even though the leader was awful, even though Ahaz had truly rejected God. So here, here's the times. The north is getting, it's getting just assailed by the Assyrians. The south, they're getting Aram and the northern kingdom on them. This is bad times for the north and the south, the entire, entire existence of what was once the nation of Israel. Very difficult and trying times. Corruption in the leadership. Kings who had turned away from God. The culture which has been influenced by the leaders to turn away from God. And they did this in profoundly profane ways. Isaiah, the prophet, now he was given a word by God to bring to King Ahaz. And there's also an interesting part here to Isaiah 7. God directed Isaiah to bring his son. His son, who has an interesting name, Shirzashab, or it, it, it might be pronounced Yeshuv, but it means a, a remnant will return. So Isaiah brings his son, Shir Jeshav, with him, and it, it's somewhat symbolic. It's a sign to the people because he's bringing a hard word of judgment to them because of their rejection of God. All's not lost. All's not lost. His son is somewhat a sign of hope to them. So now this is a backdrop, a really thumbnail sketch, very quick backdrop of Isaiah 7. Main characters, King Pekah, son of Ramalia. He's the northern king. Ahaz, he is king of Judah. And King Rezin of Aram. And the king of Assyria, he's not named. His name was Tiglath-Pileser. And he, he's unnamed in Isaiah 7. And then there's Isaiah and his son. These are the main characters. There's some of these events of the, the wars and the skirmishes. Now let's read the account. Now that we have a little bit of insight into what the backdrop is and we hear all these names, we have some idea of who they are. So Isaiah 7, 
We're going to read verses 1 through 17. So we have a good, good context of what's happening here. So Isaiah 7, verse 1, when Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, king Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. They could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shirzeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. Because of the fierce anger of Resonant and Aram and of the son of Ramalia, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Tabeel, I didn't mention him he was probably an officer in one of the armies. So this was the plot. They wanted to take over Judah, set someone over it as king. Verse 7, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus. That was the capital. And the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The north is going to go away totally. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any Ephraim broke, unlike any sense Ephraim broke away from Judah, he will bring the king of Assyria. This is a hard word. This is a powerful, hard, yet true word from the Lord to King Ahaz. It sounded pretty good for a minute. God is going to spare you from the two kings. It will not come to pass. It will not happen. If only the Lord had stopped there. But he went on. And here is a difficult truth. The Lord will bring on you a time worse, worse, unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. 
unlike that civil war after Solomon died and the nation split, something worse is coming. And he said, he will bring, God will bring the king of Assyria. God's going to bring a dictator. God is going to bring a megalomaniac, bloodthirsty warrior, superpower of the world at the time, who's been taking out most of the northern kingdom by this time. God says, he's bringing them to you. He's going to bring them to Jerusalem. God is going to use the pagan king. It's a hard truth. Does God know about, he's a dictator? Does God know he's an awful, awful man who's intent on taking over the world? God knows. God knows and he says he's going to use him. Difficult truth. And, and, and we're going to touch on it in a, a bit. But let's back up. Let's back up to how this all began with King Ahaz. Because that was the end of God's word to him. How did it all start here? Ahaz had been trying God's patience. He was a weak and he was a frightened man. The countries to the north, Israel and Aram, they had made this alliance. We're going to take over Jerusalem. We're going to knock down Judah. And they were planning this attack. Ahaz was shaking in his shoes, I suppose, sandals. He and his kingdom were in a panic. They were crippled with fear, paralyzed. And we have this little detail missing from the account in Isaiah. I give it to you from the historical book, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse number 7 says, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who are attacking me. Ahaz was afraid. He was full of fear. And who did he turn to? Did he look to the Lord? You know, he wasn't blind like we heard about blind Bartimaeus. He, could, he, he had his faculties and his senses. Who did he turn to? Who did he look to for his salvation? Well, he looked to a pagan king to come rescue him because he's being attacked by Rezin and Pekah. And what did the Lord say about those two? They're smolder, smoldering stubs. They're smoldering stubs. What does that mean? They're easy to snuff out. Just a, you know, a little toe of the Lord, if you will. As for Ahaz, despite his wickedness, God was not through with Judah yet. His patience Though Isaiah says, you've tried it. You've tried his patience. You've tried the Lord's patience. God's patience was not exhausted. He promised to save Judah from this invasion. Aram and Israel, they're not going to have you. It's not going to take place. Emphatically, it will not happen. See, then the Lord challenged Ahaz. You hear this great word. It's an awesome word. It's wonderful. It ought to just turn his heart of fear into just... This is a magnificent wonder. He should just be smiling ear to ear. And the Lord challenges him. Ask for a sign. No matter what height, no matter what depth, 
the highest star, the deepest hell, whatever it is. Ahaz, I will give it to you. Ahaz was a coward to the core. Nope, I'm not going to ask for a sign. This seems like such a, such a reverent response. No, I'm not going to ask for the sign. I will not put the Lord to the test. Hypocrite. It's a hypocritical response. I won't put the Lord to the test. That's beyond the pale. He didn't think he'd put the Lord to the test already. He'd already been engaging in human sacrifice, idol worship. He had influenced the people to turn their hearts from God and worship the gods of Assyria. He's calling on the king of Assyria. Oh, come help me. I'll give you gold and silver. Doesn't think he's putting the Lord to the test. It's over the top. And even though the Lord, or Ahaz said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. What did God say? I'm going to give you a sign nonetheless. Then we, we, we come across a very familiar line of scripture. But see it in this greater context. See it in what, what's happening with the kings and the situation in their world. And here's the familiar line of scripture. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And before the child is old enough to discern right and wrong, it will come to pass. What will come to pass? Your two enemies are gonna get snuffed out. So this much discussed, this is, this is a very discussed line of scripture because it calls for a, a near-term fulfillment. And we see that because God says, hey, before this child can even discern right and wrong, your two enemies are going to be snuffed out. Yet the Gospel of Matthew explicitly, explicitly connects this line to Jesus Christ, who was hundreds of years later. So what does it mean? I just want to briefly st- just take a moment here to just maybe give some brief explanation on that. Other prophecies are similar. They have a near-term fulfillment in the time of the life of the prophet. What does it do? Well, it sets the prophet as authentic. What the prophet says does come to pass. So he's truly hearing from the word of God. And then New Testament writers pick up on some of these prophecies and say, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Matthew's gospel. This was to fulfill. This was to fulfill. And it's in there over and over. Those same prophecies pointed Jesus Christ because he brought their ultimate fulfillment. Jesus said once, and it's recorded in John's Gospel, it's uh, chapter 5, he he said to the Pharisees who are hypocrites, you search diligently in the scriptures, thinking that in, in them you find eternal life. He said these are the very scriptures, which is our Old Testament. That's what they had. Jesus is saying these are the very scriptures that testify of me. All points to Christ. Near-term fulfillment, yes, it could happen. But Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment. We've talked about Matthew chapter 5, that wonderful Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave. And Jesus said, don't think I've come to do away, abolish the law and the prophets. Again, the entirety of our Old Testament. No, he said, I've come to fulfill them because he is the perfect fulfillment. The entirety of the Old Testament pointing to Christ, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. 
we read in the New Testament, that rock in, in the time of Moses, it was Christ. It's all, who would have thought the rock was Jesus, right? That the rock, because it gave miraculous water, out of, out of you will flow rivers of living water. These are the things that point to Christ. And they, they do over and over again, even though some of these uh, prophecies had a near-term fulfillment, and that's what's happening here in this Emmanuel prophecy. It foretells Jesus, but it also had this near-term implication about this evil king Ahaz and his enemies that were coming against him. So before the child, the child at the time of Ahaz was even a toddler, these two smoldering stubs would be destroyed. Well, who was the child at the time of Ahaz? We don't know exactly, precisely, but I would say Isaiah's own son is an excellent fit. You just read Isaiah chapter 8, and I'm not going to read that this morning, but I point you to it because it mentions his son, another interesting name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Yeah, if you're looking for a son's name. Yet, Isaiah, Isaiah makes a reference to him in Isaiah 8 as Emmanuel. And then he even goes on to say, God with us. So there is this near-term fulfillment. Isaiah's own son seems like a great fit. And what happened? With what Isaiah said, it came to pass. The two kings were conquered. Who conquered them? The Assyrians conquered them. And then Judah was spared. But something worse came to pass. Something worse. God knew the Assyrian king. God knew he was a pagan. God knew he worshiped idols. It was just terrible, terrible king. But yet God used the Assyrian king to now come against Judah. And you can read all about that in the book of 2 Kings. That king inflicted much damage, seized many of the towns of Judah, took the people captive or killed them. But he felt short of taking Jerusalem. God wasn't through with Jerusalem, even though he used the king of Assyria to, to come hard against them. And so now, with all this being said, what do we take for today? What do we take for today? What, what applies to our life here in uh, our culture? And there's many, many messages that we could preach from this chapter in Isaiah, but we definitely can see some parallels to our time and culture. Corrupt government, corrupt leaders, depraved culture, a depraved culture that's turned hard against the Lord. There has been an abandonment of God. This is very similar to our time. The leader had turned against God. Some of our leaders have turned against God. Yet despite Ahaz's abandonment of God, the Lord gave him a wonderful opportunity a great opportunity to turn around, to turn back. Ahaz didn't take it. What had characterized his state of mind? We should look at that. What characterized the state of mind of Ahaz? Fear. Overwhelming fear. Crippling fear in the face of trial, tribulation, crisis. And Isaiah paints the picture of a tree being blown around by the wind. He was like a tree shaken in the wind. Where was his trust? Where was his trust? His trust was in the world. His trust was in the culture around him. He leaned on and relied on people without first relying on the Lord. Isaiah referred to his kingdom, the kingdom of Ahaz, 
as the house of David. It was. Ahaz in the line of David. It was David's son, his successor, Solomon, wrote the great book of Proverbs. Proverbs says things like, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Ahaz, he had access to that. Rejected it. Ahaz had access to the Psalms of King David. Great Psalms, great prayers. There's some amazing prayers of David in the Psalms that are reassuring, encouraging. They bring comfort. I call on you, my God, and you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand. You who give us refuge from our foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. This is Psalm 17. Beautiful. It's one of many. One of many, many psalms. David prayed and he, he went before the Lord and acknowledged him. Lord, you're my salvation. Not some king of Assyria. Ahaz wouldn't do it, though. He wouldn't trust the Lord. And what was the word of the Lord to Ahaz? It was, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Then the Lord made him an offer. Ask me for a sign. Come on. I'm telling you I'm going to save you. And if you don't believe me, if you don't stand, you're not going to stand at all. Now ask me for a sign. I'll give it to you. I'll show you. Fear overtook him. Fear completely took him. Enveloped him. Not some reverent fear of God. This was not a fear. This was not an honorable, reverent fear of God. No, no. It was, he was frightened. He was frightened to his inner man. And he made a cowardly, cowardly reply. Oh, I'm not going to test the Lord. Showed no faith. No faith at all, let alone standing. He wasn't standing, he wasn't standing firm. Now last Sunday we talked about Jesus and how he told his closest companions, you're gonna face trials, you're gonna face tribulation to the point of persecution and death because you believe in me. And Jesus said to them, stand firm to the end. Stand firm to the end. When our world closes in around us, the word from God through the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz is applicable to each of us. When our world closes in, that word, it can apply to us. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now what can we do? What can we do when we're confronted with an issue, a problem, a trial, a tribulation, a serious, serious medical diagnosis, a legal dilemma. We're being sued for something. There's a moral crisis confronting us. We have a family problem. Family's a dissolution. There's, there's, there's some kind of angst, fight, schism in the family. The culture war. We're being bombarded. The culture is just going at breakneck speed away from what we what we see as moral and right. We see the government turning, turning hard, corrupt, 
totally against the things of God, what do we do? What do we do when these things come upon us and they just present a sense of dread? What do we do? Hear the word of God. Hear this word of God. Number one, be careful. Keep calm and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. This was the word to the unrighteous King Ahaz. How much more a word to us. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of your situation. The first response, the very first response is fear not. Do not fear. Our fear does not stand a chance when we are calling on the Lord God Almighty. Now, I know, I know from experience, way easier said than done, way easier said than done. A, a problem, an issue, something just confronts us. Fear happens. It, it, it's an emotion. It's a response. You can feel it in your physical body. Fear of the unknown. What's going to happen because of this diagnosis or this, this letter I just got in the mail that says somebody's coming against me or I'm going to lose my house or, or I'm going to have my vehicle repossessed or whatever it is. Fear, yes, it, it can be right there. And it's pretty normal. And it can be consuming. What's going to happen? Normal's never going to, my, my life's going to change. Everything's going to be wiped away. I, I don't know what's coming. I, I, fear, of, fear of what's happening tomorrow. How do, we, how do we deal with that? How do we assuage this overwhelming sense of dread and fear? Well, the first thing, the first thing many people do is they go online. It's first response. Man, I just got this terrible letter in the mail or, or I just got this serious medical diagnosis. My family's falling apart. Oh, who could counsel me? Well, I'm going to go on. It's got to be an answer on the internet, right? What, what, it's, it, it, it's, it's there. I know it's there. They'll tell me which medication I should take, what surgery I should undergo, how do I solve this crisis, what do I do for this problem, how do I handle my wayward child? What do I do with the bully at school? Oh, yes, the internet has the solution. Whatever the problem, big tech, the world wide web is there. Ahaz went to the big superpower of his time, Assyria. Ahaz was calling on Assyria. Many of us go to sort of what some see as a superpower. Google. You know, a subreddit, subreddit group that's going to chat up what my issue is, a social media platform. There's help there. There's comfort there, right? Well, maybe there is sometimes if we're careful. But just jumping into that, you know what it, it often does? It, it adds to the problem. It builds up the fear. <sighs> I didn't know. I'm getting, what? They're suing me for this, but they could sue me for 10 other things. Yeah, you find out this great information when you jump in or you consult Dr. Google or whatever. And, and, and it's often that the anxieties and the fears are heightened. And you know what then? You will not stand. You will not stand at all. When fear overwhelms, the first response isn't jumping into the world system or the world's way. The first response, the first response, seek the Lord. 
call on the Lord. It's not to seek the world. And that is a standing firm in faith response. That's what it is. Just take some time. Go in your closet. Talk to the Lord. Go to God. Go to God. Seek his intervention. Call on him. I know it sounds so simple. We say it all the time. But look at what this king was doing. Terrible problem confronted him. I mean, it's the human response. We are, we are tempted to that. We are susceptible to that. Let's, let's look at that and take some encouragement from it to do the opposite. Call on God. Cast aside, cast aside that this garment of fear and unbelief. Cast it aside. We're encouraged by that this morning. Cast aside the garment of fear and unbelief and doubt. Cast aside the spirit of Ahaz. Open up God's word. There's another great thing. Open up God's word. Take in some of the hope. Read the Psalms of David. Read some of his amazing prayers to God. Pray them. Pray them. I've, I've taken, you know, here's a, it's a great device. I turn it on sometimes and just, I don't, sometimes when I can't, I'm, I'm can't even read because what, it's, something has come just turn it on and I hit the read to me button. Read to me. Read to me this psalm. You can do that. We have God's word right at our fingertips. Get into it. Pray the prayers of David. Pray, I call on you. I call on you who saved by your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. It's a great prayer. You know, the problem often seems like a towering inferno. But to God, it's a smoldering stub. It's like a cigarette butt. That's what God can do. Now, does that mean there's only a spiritual response to life's problems? Is that what this means? We have this problem, and it's great. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the flesh. It's real. It's a medical issue, or my house is going to be lost, or whatever. So we can only respond spiritually. No. No, of course not. We're flesh and blood. We need to respond to life circumstances in the natural. We do. But it's a good practice to respond under the guidance of God, under his guidance, his direction, seeking him, seeking him in prayer, seeking him in his word, and under his guidance and direction with peace that passes understanding. And I remind you of of, a very oft-quoted verse of scripture, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, don't be anxious for anything. Philippians 4, don't be anxious for anything. Don't fear anything. Be anxious for nothing. But in every situation, not some situations, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Again, a hard, hard truth there, with thanksgiving. Thank God, even if it's, wow, I got this letter, God, I don't know what to do with it. Thank God. And present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And what does this mean? It means there's a reliance on God, a, a practiced reliance on God. Every situation, it needs to be a, a habitual, and sometimes it might be difficult. That's for sure. We might wonder, where are you, Lord? Where are you? We might even ask God, God, could you give me a sign? I need a sign. Give me a sign. I need to know that you're truly with me. 
The Lord offered Ahaz a sign, the highest star, the deepest hell. And Ahaz said no. Ahaz said no. Man, wouldn't it be grand if the Lord offered that to us? We would say, yes, Lord, give me the sign. I'll take the sign. Oh, we're not going to say no. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. If he makes the offer, of course, come on, take the sign. We want to see something wonderful. You know what? We got it. We have it. Isaiah said to King Ahaz, and this takes us back. It, it takes us back to the just will live by faith. It takes us back to the promise preserved. It takes us back to, to fight the good fight. All of it. Isaiah said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. That's a sign that Matthew in his gospel said is Jesus. The New Testament confirms that's a sign for all of us. You want a sign? You got the sign. We have it. It's the sign of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. He came to this world of ours, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered. He suffered to lift this immense debt called sin that's upon every single one of us. Jesus did that. And he said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. He sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of the resurrected Jesus, the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. We truly have Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, now with that, you can stand. And you can stand firm. And if you stand firm with that sign, don't let that sign, let it, let it just let, meditate on that for a minute. You have Emmanuel, you have God with you. Oh yeah, you can stand through anything. God can perform signs and wonders. Yes, he can. God can heal. Yes, he can. But you know what? We don't need any sign. We don't need any wonder. We don't need any miracle to stand firm in our faith because we got it. We got the greatest one ever, God with us. The Lord himself gave us a sign. And with that, let it, let, let it just seep in on you and warm you up. With that, you, you can keep calm and not lose heart no matter what you're currently facing, whatever your situation, no matter what it is, and you can stand firm in that faith. You can. And you will then stand firm to the end. You got it. Do you? I'm gonna ask, do you? You got Emmanuel? Can you say God, God's with me? Uh, listen, I, I know, I know we get confronted, I know we get tested, I know it. And fear can grab us. And so today, as we, as we close our service, I, I want to invite you to stand. And if you've got a situation, and I'll say too, if you have, you heard the word today, you want to get healed of something? Maybe, maybe, maybe you've got a letter in the mail that's just, you're, it's, it's owned you. Maybe you need to get healed of that fear. Maybe you need to get healed of that anxiety. Maybe you need to just cast it down today. Today. 
You have Emmanuel, God with you. And if you just need some reassurance, you want someone to pray with you, you want someone to pray with you like one of the prayers of David, we will call on you, Lord, because we know by your right hand you can take care of us. You want someone to pray with you, just keep me, Jesus. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Don't run out of here. Come on, come on down. Come on down and just give it away. Give it to the Lord. You need need some physical healing? You can come for that too, of course. Of course, God still can do miracles, and he will. You got that faith? Emmanuel, God with you? Use it today. We're going to sing this song again that says, fear doesn't stand a chance. It doesn't. We are in the presence of Almighty God. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Nothing to fear. We've got the creator of the world with us. So let's sing that, and I invite you to come for prayer, and we have We have our deacons and our elders here who would be happy to pray with you as you come to the altar. So come on. I am encouraged. That's a great thing to look around here and we're singing that and I'm seeing this and I'm seeing, yes, I will stand in your love. My fear, what has it got on you? Nothing, nothing. And I'm so glad to see from the front to the back of these, yes, yes, you you get it, you get it. And if you, if you just need that encouragement, you don't need to run away. We encourage each other. We, we help each other to stand. Wrapping arms around others, praying for them. I'll pray for you as we go. But again, you don't need to rush out. We heard, you know, there's healing here. If you need, our, our elders are here. They'd love to anoint you with oil. Let's pray pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. God, hard words, hard truths, difficult truths of you bringing hard judgment. But God, you brought Jesus. You brought Jesus. Pointing to that judgment time, you also pointed to Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, reassure us. Reassure us. Fill us. Touch our hearts with your Holy Spirit. May we overflow with the spirit of the living God, the presence of your love with us that would carry us and help us and put aside every fear. Lord, may we be people who are anxious for nothing, zero, zilch, nothing. But in everything, we just come to you. When we need to, we come to you with thanksgiving and our prayers and you'll keep and guard our hearts. Thank you, God, for doing that. I know you've touched so many. Thank you for the healing virtue that we know comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Bless us with it all, God. Keep your people strong and firm, standing in you, standing in their faith. Lord, we ask for your help. We need it, and we're grateful for it. Bless your people as they go. Keep them, Lord. Use them this week. Bring them back. To worship you again in your house in the name of our Savior, our good, good Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.